This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Kicking off hour two. This is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. From the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Lots to get to in the next hour, but uh, if you're going back to hour one, some thoughts on the end of game festivities between the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights, including our thoughts on the slash from Alex Petrangelo. Also, a chat with the voice of the Calgary Wranglers, Sandra Persina, as they get set to kick off their Pacific Division final against the Coachella Valley Firebirds tonight at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. You get that wherever you get your favorite podcasts uh, Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. Hour two, we will chat with uh, Adnan Verk coming up a little bit later on MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. But before we get there, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli, uh, has uh, Calgary a bit of a buzz today, thanks to a tweet he sent out earlier this Thursday morning. And no, it's not about a new GM or a new head coach. It actually has to do with the old GM. Frank Saravalli tweeting this morning, quote, why hasn't Brad Living's name popped up for a front office job openings? Teams are interested. Sources say early indication is Flames do not permit plan to permit Living to interview for vacancies until after his contract expires on June 30th. We will see if that changes. So that raised a couple eyebrows uh, across the city today. And it just so happened that our initial insider, Frank Saravalli, uh, on Thursdays, joins the guys in the morning with uh, Russick and Rose on the big show and uh, had a perfect opportunity to ask him about that tweet and to uh, dive a little bit more into uh, that uh, report that he has that the Flames are not allowing Brad Living to interview for other front office jobs until his contract's up on the 30th. Here is uh, Frank Saravalli on that with Russick and Rose a little earlier this Thursday. Um, you just got a uh, a very interesting tweet you just sent out um, saying that uh, Brad Tree Living isn't really allowed to talk to anybody uh, until his contract expires on June 30th. Is this really a surprise to you? Um, does this make a lot of sense? Do a lot of teams do this? What's your take on this? No, it's definitely a surprise. I mean, I can't think of another comparable example where someone has essentially parted ways with a team. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, the flames release itself said mutually agreed to part ways. Did I get the wording correct? Right. Yes. Yep. So usually when there's a quote, mutual parting of the ways and you have someone that's going to be a free agent anyway on July one, why would you want to get in the way of that person then taking their next job? Mm. And the only reason you want to do that is because you're petty because you are upset that he left. And 
the real reason he left, which we've reported on the entire time, is because the Flames weren't willing to make a coaching change. And then, oddly enough, they did it after the fact. And then, so the next question in the entire process became, well, should they just get married again? Like, should Brad Living just go back to being the GM? Shouldn't the Flames just invite him back into the fold? Hmm. The sense I got was he never really wanted to leave anyway. And the the quick answer was, no, that ain't happening. Not coming back. So now it's gone a step further, and it's at least the early indication is, which, again, with the number of weeks remaining, could change. But these jobs move fast, and if you're not in the mix, they go to someone else. So it, it just it strikes me as the wrong way to do business and the wrong message to send contractually are the flames allowed to, of course they're pay, They've paid Brad true living a lot of money over the last nine years to, to be their general manager, but he doesn't work for them anymore. He doesn't go into the office anymore. He's not coming back on July one. It, it just seems odd to me that you'd play this out this way. Um, especially Frank with how emotional, uh, John Bean and Don Maloney were at that news conference announcing everyone that. Everyone likes him. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like they were, they literally were fighting back tears and getting choked up, talking about how this has affected them and their personal relationship. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Doesn't this feel like this is coming from higher up than them? Oh, it's a hundred percent. No one tells Mary Edwards no, and Brad Tree Living did, and now the man in Switzerland has has bit back. That is NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. You hear the entire conversation with uh, Frank with Russick and Rose on the big show uh, from earlier this Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, just search the big show, uh, dive into a couple of different topics and topics around the league with Frank as well. But just wanted to to isolate that one regarding Frank's tweet uh, earlier about Brad Living not being permitted to interview for vacancies until his contract expires after June 30th. So the question has become fair or foul from the Calgary Flames not allowing Brad to interview for these vacancies. Now, this is only half of the story. We have not heard from from Brad or anybody representing Brad about whether he is interested in taking other jobs at this point. We had heard from Don Maloney uh, around the time that Brad announced he wasn't coming, or the team announced that they were parting ways, I should say, that, you know, hey, maybe this is a good time for Brad to, you know, take some time and relax and figure out what he wants to do next or when that's coming. So we, we don't know from Brad's perspective if this is an issue. I have to be very clear about that because I, I think it's an important part of this is, Okay, so they, they're saying that they, they won't permit him to do that, but has he been offered? Have they been you know asked by other teams about this? I'm sure that's that's come up, but has Brad actively been searching for a job? We don't know about that right now, so we, we can't say that for sure. But of course, fair fouls coming up. Is this fair from the organization to you know treat Brad in, in this sense? I, I I wouldn't go as far as what Frank said to use the term petty. To me, that's that's I, I just don't think that's the correct classification for it. I think that there is absolutely 
something to be said about the level of knowledge that Brad has around the organization when it comes to Flames players, contracts, uh, draft plans, all that sort of stuff. And I think that there is certainly an aspect of this that revolves around keeping as much intellectual property that belongs to the Calgary Flames like draft lists and draft orders and prospect rankings, all that sort of free agent rankings, right? Uh, Conversations with pro scouts, keeping that in-house as long as possible. I would never expect Brad Treliving or any other NHL executive when they move to another job to not share that sort of information. I think that's totally unfair to to ask of any NHL front office executive. But that being said, if he's under contract until the 30th and the Flames are going to pay him out until June 30th, as Frank mentioned there, they are well within their rights to say, look, technically, yes, you're not working for us anymore, but you do have working knowledge of how we're going about business. I think he would have worked, obviously, very closely with Don Maloney on a lot of those processes. And maybe the Flames simply feel as though they're not in a position to let somebody else have an, an inside look at that. So would I call it petty? Uh, is that, that's the word Frank used. I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying that Frank can't. Frank absolutely can, can call it how he sees it. It's just It's not the wording I would use. I think definitely to my, the way I see it, there's again, a level of, you know, protecting your own information and protecting your own staff. Who knows? Maybe there's a a contingent of, you know, flame scouts, pro or amateur or anything else that, you know, enjoy their relationship with Brad for living and have a trust with Brad for living and would say, look, Brad, wherever you end up next, Give me a phone call. Maybe we can work something out, right? And maybe this is the Flames' way of of going about, you know, holding on to their assets. And, you know, information is an asset. So I don't want to say that just because Frank or maybe another NHL insider hasn't seen it handled in this in this same manner that we're automatically going to drown on the or you know dive into the flames that they're somehow being disrespectful or petty or whatever words you want to use towards Brad for living I'm not I'm not ready to do that and, and for one I won't do that because I, I haven't heard the whole story this is this is only half the story so to be you know fair about this and to, and that's what we're trying to do here it's, I'm bringing it up because it's Calgary Flames-related news, and I think a lot of people are talking about it. But understanding that and coming to this consensus, and as many of you are texting in, and I'll get to your text in just a second at 960-960, you know, understand that this is half a story, right? This is not full picture. This is, we've not heard Brad say, hey, I've asked to interview for GM job XYZ, and the Flames have said no. We we don't have any indication for what Brad's side of the table is 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 expecting in this or is involved at this point. Is it is it interesting that the Flames go down? Sure it is. But again, I think if you dive into it a little bit more, whether you you want to talk about draft capital, draft strategy, 
prospect rankings, free agent rankings, even something as simple as guys that you don't think the Flames are going to re-sign for whatever reason. Maybe they're not the biggest free agent names in the class out there. But yeah, you could see that as a team, you know, getting a little bit of a head start because of the information that Brad Living has based on his time in Calgary. So I definitely think some give and take here. Uh, some of your texts here at 960960 uh, on this news today. Uh, this text says, want to go to Pittsburgh, who's drafting right ahead of the Flames? Don't think so. Uh, Scott says, I wouldn't allow Brad to leave before the draft either. It's just good business on the part of the Flames. Uh, Costin Cochran says, with a draft coming up, I'm not sure I'd want my ex-GM of two weeks ago interviewing and letting teams in on any info the Flames scouting department has. 100%. Uh, this one says, this is all about insider knowledge. He knows our scouting, etc. Craig Button wasn't allowed in the building, permitted to talk to scouts or even allowed on the draft room floor when he was hired. Uh, this one says, seriously, not that rare to restrict your prior general manager from talking to new teams until the contract has expired, especially right before a damn draft. And then uh, this text on the other side says, you are employed by the Flames, so you are a mouthpiece. You have to carry the narrative. Uh, you couldn't be more wrong. I'm not employed by the Flames. The Flames do not pay uh, a single cent of my salary. I'm I'm a Rogers employee, actually. The Flames don't have anything to do. I, I brought it up because an NHL insider, one that we happen to feature on this station, brings up. And again... Do I think Frank has a, a brought up an interesting point? Yeah, of course. It's something he hasn't heard of before and was curious as to why that would be from a Calgary Flames perspective. I don't fully agree with his thought process and some of the words that he's used on it, and that's okay. It certainly doesn't mean I'm a mouthpiece for the team. <laughs> Honestly, couldn't be further from the truth. First of all, I'm not a mouthpiece for the team. Second of all, I'm not a Flames employee. So I don't have any narrative to carry. I want to carry the narrative of stories that I think listeners care about and that they want to talk about. Frank's tweet created a lot of buzz in the Flames community today uh, who just so happened to make up a large uh, portion of this listener base. So... Uh, this one says it's called a contract for a reason in my world. This isn't even worth addressing. Uh, Corey from air again on this. I, I don't know. Tim, am I missing something here? Corey from energy says as an employee of a flames partner, I get the need to say what you're saying, but that would apply to every GM position and none of them would enter or interview at this time of the year. Again, our relationship with the flames has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I hear from zero members of the Calgary Flames regarding what I'm saying. I don't think they care what I say. Frankly, they've got bigger things to worry about than my idiot voice on the radio for two hours a day. I'm giving you an opinion because that's what I'm paid to do on a story that I think a lot of you care about. 
you would be surprised how little my relationship or our system or station's relationship has to do with the Calgary Flames and whatever narrative or message you may think that they want to carry. I just personally think they don't, they, they haven't done anything wrong. That's a hundred. I just, I, again, I went through all the texts that had their opinions on it. I had my opinions on it. I think Brad Living has a serious inside knowledge of the Calgary Flames uh, workings and inner doings because he was the general manager up until what, two weeks ago. If the Flames are paying him, which I, from every indication I have, they are until his contract's done. And they don't want him out with any other NHL team sharing that sort of information, whether it be, again, draft, free agent, whatever it is. I think they're totally within it's their right to do that. Now, if they weren't paying him and they had both been released from their contractual obligations to each other, then 100%. That's a different conversation, but I'm I'm sitting here telling you right now, I, I don't think that they've been petty. I don't think that they're holding him back from opportunities. And again, this is only half the story. We don't know what Brad's perspective is on this. I have not heard. We have not heard from Brad Schliving one way or another as to whether or not he's exploring opportunities right now. And again, most of these teams, if I'm if I understand the situation correctly, would have to approach the Flames first off, anyways, to get that permission, and then they would go to Brad. I think you would probably be stepping on the toes of other organizations if you were to go straight to Brad, who is still under contract with the Flames, and say, "Hey, what does this position interest you in, in City X, Y, or Z?" So. Uh, da, 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 more at nine six zero nine six zero. Uh, Taylor, apparently, I'm a flame shill. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, some great. Text. I just can't get over that. It just it couldn't be further from the truth that if any sort of um, again, why they would care what I say, they don't. And they wouldn't. Um, but second of all, the, the thing that I would carry it on one way or the other, I, I could care less. <laughs> this text this, says it really makes me laugh. I heard you're the combination afternoon DJ slash assistant to the GM slash Peter Hanlon's right hand. Yeah, absolutely. You you are that's the Calgary Flames. You... That's what I am. Yeah. That's that's me, guys. I just take my my show notes right from what the Calgary Flames on me. I... Stop it! Stop. Uh, Secretly, Logan is the Calgary Flames. Every is, single member. Yeah. This is all a facade. Stop it! I don't need this narrative brought out anymore by the five people who think that I'm. I'm carrying water that I'm somehow a shill. Just uh, no, I'm saying like you are the players, you are the coaches, uh, you I'm are everyone. I'm all of it. Yeah, yeah. Of all people, it would be me. Like the the least the least known media personality in this city 
either on radio or print or anything. That's who they would trust to do it. That's that's the one that's that, that they're gonna trust. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay. Um, this one says, what if Brad wants to run his family business and just make 10 times the money? Boston Pizza's doing pretty well right now. Be the GM of Boston Pizza. the last one I'm going to read because some of these make me laugh. Uh, this one says you shill, flames paying you in cowboy boots and used puck. Murray pays well, right? Nah, just kidding. It seems pretty reasonable to keep him under contract and control the uh, flames data for at least a little while here. Oh, uh, yeah. Taylor, if you can make sure to get my uh, my flames talking points ready for tomorrow's show, that'd be great. All right, on it. That list that they send every day that they want me to put out. If you could uh, organize that for me. Yeah, on it. Appreciate it. Thanks. Identity discovered by the uh, the great texters at 960-960. Uh, breaking news in the NHL. Edmonton's Darnell Nurse has automatically been suspended for one game. And Coach Jay Woodcroft has been fined $10,000 under rule 46.21, instigating in final five minutes of regulation. The NHL has upheld the suspension for Darnell Nurse. Despite Mark Stone saying after the game that Nick Hag asked for the fight right before the faceoff, NHL player safety will not rescind Darnell Nurse's instigator penalty. Therefore, he will not play in game five on Friday. And head coach Jay Woodcroft takes a $10,000 fine from the NHL's player uh, safety department. Boom. One domino down. Now we wait for the inevitable ruling on Alex Petrangelo. If there is one. You know what's really going to piss people off, Taylor? This is going to happen, and I, I almost know it now because they made that ridiculous ruling on, on Nurse. They're going to fine Petrangelo. $5,000. $5,000. The maximum under the CBA. <laughs> what a joke that is. You're going to fine Woodcroft ten k because two guys who wanted to fight all series finally fought each other, and then the maximum that you can find Petrangelo, who should be suspended, by the way, if you missed that earlier, I said he should be suspended, but I don't know what this crazy player safety department's ever going to do. The maximum that they can find is $5,000. Oh, that would really go over well in Edmonton. Uh, so that's the latest news. Darnell Nurse automatically suspended for one game uh, as the NHL's uh, player department safety, uh, player safety department upholds the instigator penalty that he was uh, assessed in last night's game. He is unavailable for game five Friday when the Oilers visit the Golden Knights. We uh, still await the result of Alex Petrangelo's hearing earlier today uh, and whether that will include a fine suspension or uh, none of the above. Things certainly taking an interesting turn ahead of uh, game five. This series now tied at two games apiece. We will take a break. Come back on the other side. 
Uh, perfect time to bring in our uh, pal from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan Verk closes things out on a Thursday edition of the program next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, closing out the hour on this Thursday. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. The latest NHL news coming down just moments ago. Darnell Nurse will have his one-game suspension upheld. The NHL will not be rescinding his instigator penalty that he received after fighting Nick Hag late in last night's win over the Vegas Golden Knights, meaning he is unavailable for Game 5 back in Las Vegas on Friday. And uh, head coach Jake Woodcroft also incurring a $10,000 fine. Still waiting to hear the outcome of Alex Petrangelo's uh, meeting. Uh, he obviously uh, meeting with player safety after his slash to the hands of uh, Darnell Nurse, which started uh, a whole bunch of extracurricular activities at the end of last night's game. As soon as we get any clarity on that, uh, we'll bring it to you here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. But uh, for right now, very happy to close up the hour by going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, welcoming in our pal from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. He is Adnan. Verk, uh, Verk how are you doing today, man? Logo, how we doing, man? Everything good? We're doing great, pal. Uh, and uh, perfect time to bring you on. Always enjoy our uh, our Thursday chats. Did you catch that last night in Edmonton? The uh, the slash from Alex Petrangelo to Leon Dreisaitl? I didn't see it. No, it's Dreisaitl okay. Jeez, that's concerning for an Oilers fan. Wow, <laughs> he seems like he was okay. He got up chirping and had it up, but Petrangelo gives him a I don't know a Jose Canseco esque slash to the mid arm and. Uh, takes a two-hander to him, and uh, of course now everything's going a little bit crazy, and we wait to see what happens with the player depart- uh, Department of Player Safety. We've been talking about it all day because we don't really ever know, and I'm sure you've noticed this watching hockey over the last little while too, Verk. It's kind of frustrating when you never know what's going to happen when it comes to suspensions when the player Department of Player Safety is so inconsistent. 100%. I mean, you'll see certain things and go, Oh man, that's got to be a five-game suspension. That's like a you know slap on the wrist, like a fine. And then other stuff, you'll say to yourself, "Oh my God, that's so so minor." Also, the guy gets a three-game suspension. So it's I know it's a tricky job. You look at a lot of different things. You know, where is the game taking place? At what instance was it? Who are the players involved? Are they repeat offenders? Uh, what other penalties have we given out for similar such instances? Right? There's lots of that kind of stuff that goes into it. But yeah, the only uh, the only consistency sometimes is the inconsistency and. Uh, at least in this case, hopefully, oh, geez, Dreisel is okay. He's just been such a dynamo for this team right now. So, curious if Petrangelo, I guess, to go sit in the penalty box, so to speak, for a suspension. Uh, how did you take the news this morning uh, for your uh, group in Orange? Keith Jones is the new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, and Danny Briere will take the interim tag off and uh, try to uh, rebuild this once uh, historic franchise. I love it. I mean, listen, Chuck Fletcher was an absolute disaster. And nothing was epitomized more by that Rasmus Ristolainen trade. They dig up a ton to get him, and they doubled down and give the guy a five-year deal. It's horrible. Um, Chuck Fletcher's fate was sealed when he couldn't even trade James Van Riemsdyk. Van Riemsdyk is a free agent to be. The team's not going anywhere. Like, just go ahead and get a six-round pick. Who cares? And, of course, he couldn't even trade him. So 
he knew he wasn't going to work out. So, you know, good luck, Chuck. And Briere takes over. And clearly the Flyers are following that blueprint, which other organizations have done, which is get players who are known as great Flyers. I know that they can kind of restore the franchise to past glories. And you've seen Joe Sackick with the Avalanche. You've seen Steve Eisman trying to do that right now. The Red Wings had success previously. Um, Kevin Adams with the Sabres, like you name it. There's, there's a lot. Cam Neely with the Bruins. I mean, there's, there's lots of former players in executive positions. But only time tells. Like you, you can't definitely say these guys are the answer because there is no experience, at least in, in Jonesy's perspective. I think he's terrific on TV. He's smart. He knows the stuff. He obviously follows the game. Uh, but as far as being a president, it's a whole new gig. Now, as far as, you know, Briere is concerned, at least he's had some work as far as contracts are concerned. They're kind of grooming him in that direction. So that's the good news. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a blueprint that has become popular. You see it in baseball, former players becoming managers. And my friends like Aaron Boone, Alex Cora, David Ross, a lot of that happens. In hockey, they're trying to put them in management positions. Rather than coaches, you go be the president, the GM, build this thing from the ground up, Hopefully Jonesy and Danny Breer can get it done. Interesting to hear that uh, from the Flyers CEO and Governor uh, Daniel Hilferty putting John Tortorella uh, so prominently in that release. We had Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff on earlier today, Virk, and he said that John Tortorella probably holds as much power organizationally as any head coach does now, given the fact that Breer and Jones have such little front office experience when it comes to to this sort of role. Do you think it's a good idea to have a head coach, especially one that can be as contentious as John Tortorella holding that much kind of power and sway? Yeah, I know it's interesting. As far as Tortorella is concerned, like you have to make sure your head coach is on the same page. And, and generally speaking, you think the president's got juice, then the GM, the coach, but not in this instance. And I think in this case, Tortorella probably loves the moves because he can say to himself, all right, this is not some power hungry guy coming in here. These are former players. Uh, you know, I'm going to have more sway now because um, they're going to listen to my voice in a good way. Like they're going to respect where I'm coming from because I've been a coach a long time. And, you know, these guys understand where I'm coming from. So I think it's, it's definitely a win for John Tortorella. Not that Chuck Fletcher was overbearing, but I think that, you know, they just didn't have that relationship. Whereas now this week, hey, Breer, Jonesy, you guys are former players. We speak the same language. They can kind of have John's input. And that's, that really is the key, right? That that's the, the, the trio you're trying to get on the same page, coach, president, GM, Hopefully good news for Torts. Okay, not to make this all about the Flyers, but it was a disastrous season for them. They didn't win the draft lottery, so they're picking seventh. Uh, when you look at this team, Verk, who who's around for the long haul if you're Keith Jones and Daniel Briere? Like, are there many pieces that you want to sit here and say, I think this guy is going to be around to help us when the days finally get good again? Yeah, that's where it gets tricky because you thought for years that, I mean, I was looking back to that. I don't know why I was looking at but Mike Richards and Jeff Carter, yep. those old Flyers teams, right? They signed those big contracts go, these guys will be here forever. And then, no, none of those guys lasted. And Mike Richards doesn't play hockey anymore. And Jeff Carter is still playing hockey now, the Penguins. So it's always tricky. I think Carter Hart's telling you, yeah, he's definitely going to be there. He's obviously a linchpin of this team. Uh, you know, I think a Scott Lawton is going to be there. I think Konechny's there. Um, but then after that, I really don't know. I could probe off. They would have traded if they could have. Um, Hayes is obviously going to be done in a couple of years once his contract's up. And Reemstike is going out the door. So, yeah, I, I think it's a Konechny, Lawton. You know, I think it's it, maybe Sanheim. I could see Konechny, Lawton, Sanheim, Carter Hart. If you told me which of those guys are going to stay through this regime, I think those four guys stay. Everybody else is on the table. The Raby guys were there, but if they're, if they're available for trade, they get rid of them. But I think in my heart, that's probably a core four 
the Flyers, Brass Bullies, these guys we need to have, we can win with them. Uh, have you caught much of the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs? I know a lot of people saying right now this has been one of the more boring second rounds they can remember in recent history. Yeah, I think it's a totally fair criticism. I, I've been watching here and there. You know, like you, I try to watch about everything. So I'm watching baseball, obviously, for work, and then I'm watching hockey as a fan, and I'm watching a little basketball as a fan. And, and yeah, that's what I found. The hockey series, it's, it just hasn't been close games. Like, I look at that Hurricanes-Devils series, and it's either – the Hurricanes putting the boots, the Devils, or the Devils showing up big time in game three. So that hasn't been a very close series. The Leafs and Panthers completely devoid of drama by the fact that, um, you know, the Leafs were down three. Okay, you win game four, big deal. What does that mean? So I think it's been kind of tricky in terms of trying to get the momentum going. Now, Oilers and Golden Knights, okay, that's now a best of three. So that feels like that has some more excitement and more juice to it. But, yeah, I can totally see fans saying, like, hey, you know, that first round is always special in hockey just because you've got eight different series and it's inevitable there'll be an upset just as we saw this year with the Panthers getting it done against the Brewers. But yeah, second round so far, to me at least, I would agree with most of the cynics. It's been kind of ho-hum so far. Any, I know the Leafs won last night and they, they got through 2-1, but any way, shape, or form do you see them coming back and making a series of this against the Panthers? No chance. I mean, I, I'm surprised they even won game four. It's not that they've been so bad. I just think when you look historically – Teams are down 3-0 50% of the time. It ends in a sweep. Like, it just gets incredibly unlikely even to get to seven games. Like, the numbers just go down in that direction. So, generally, it's a sweep. Okay, win game four. Well, the next option, like 25% of the time, they lose in game five. So, the only thing helping Toronto's case is I suppose they're going home, but they lost the first two games at home. So, I, I'm like, all right, big deal. Like, Florida's already proven they can win on the road. So, to me, that was a tough win. It did show that Toronto had some perseverance. They obviously didn't roll over 2-1 win. But, no, I, I still think Florida's the better team. They've proven it so far. This isn't a case of, like, the Leafs being hit hard by injuries or questionable power plays. or Like, Florida's outplayed them. Like, game one, they clearly were better. In game two, Florida was on their heels in the first period, steadied the ship, and then Bobrovsky took over in the third period. Game two, they're the better team to win in overtime. And then game four, Toronto's just a little bit better. So, I, I really don't even think it goes to six. I think Panthers win in five. And it's going to be a long offseason for the Leafs. Like, the only thing they can look at is say, well, at least now we have our answer. Like, this core is not the answer. Those numbers going into game four, at this point, I don't even care if the Leafs win another game. If they don't win the series, it's immaterial. Because the bottom line is those that core four, that, you know, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Neil and Tavares, those guys didn't score a goal for the first three games. It's embarrassing. And they know they, they have to have changes moving forward. It just has to happen. Uh, switching over to baseball, uh, an interesting thing that keeps getting brought up uh, from the AL East and the dominance that everyone's showing right now is that the Yankees and Blue Jays have 21 wins uh, and sit at the bottom of the AL East standings, Virk, but the rest of the league uh, can only produce four other teams with 21 or more wins. Does baseball need to look at perhaps editing their postseason and who qualifies when one division is so uh, clearly dominant like this, or is this just more of a... Uh, an aberration than anything? Well, it's essentially an aberration. This has been a strong division now for a few years. We've seen the American League East really be strong. And, you know, it feels like for years now, we're used to the AL Central being kind of weak, the NL Central being kind of weak as well. I think what has helped things is at least the more balanced schedule. Like in the past, you'd go, man, 19 games against opponents in the American League East, as fun as it is to see Red Sox and Yankees that many times, it's unfair to those teams. Like, it's unfair to whatever good team is in the Central, they can beat up on the likes of the White Sox and the Royals 
whereas there's really no answer as far as teams in the American League East to get a break. Like right now, when you've got Rays, Orioles, Red Sox, Jays, Yankees, and the worst of those teams is the Yankees in dead last, but they're eight games back of first place, and they're four games over 500. Like I said, like there's like a team that's 500. They're all above 500, and clearly so, and they can't get a fair shake. So I think it's, it's tough for those teams. The extra wild card does help because if you say to yourself, well, we can't catch the Rays. And by the way, the Orioles are only four and a half games bound, so, so the things could change, but the Rays look really tough. But two other teams are going to be wild cards. And so right now, if you looked at the American League playoff picture, you already know all the wild cards are coming from the American League East. Like it's going to be Rays, Twins, Rangers win the division, and then after that your wild card teams will be the Orioles, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. So if there's any consolation, it's not like the wild cards – you know, have to be from different divisions. No, the wild cards can all be from one division, and that's the good news. That helps that disparity right now because it is true. The American League East is the beast of all of baseball, and it's been that way for a few years. What do you think the chances are that hypnosis is the key to helping Noah Syndergaard turn around uh, his pitching of late? He signed a one-year deal with the Dodgers this winter, Verk, hoping that they could help him turn his game around. He's uh, only gotten worse 6.32 ERA entering Tuesday's start, the 10th highest among pitchers with at least 30 innings played. And now he has turned to hypnosis and meditation where he says that he uh, covers his face in a dark room while Dodgers mental skills coach Brent Walker talks softly to him. Uh, do you think that this is a viable option for Noah Syndergaard to get back to pitching well? Well, I think it's clearly the instance where you go, hey, let's just, Take whatever you can get, right? Like if, if that's the answer for now, like let's try to figure it out because uh, I don't know because this guy's supposed to be really good. Like there's there's no question about it. Like he is supposed to be a premier pitcher, and we're a long way now from that era of those Mets pitchers really coming through with promise and potential. And the really the final nail in the coffin was Matt Harvey announcing his retirement. Like his career record is 50 wins. It's insane. When, when he first got called up in 2013, you said, this guy's the next big thing. He's going to be the next Nolan line, future Hall of Famer. And his career ends up 50 wins and 66 losses and an ERA of 4.42. Like, absolutely stunning that he never fulfilled his promise. And now, unfortunately, Noah Syndergaard is going down that road as well. You know, a fireballer, throws 100, you know, column four, Greek god, his shirt off, blonde, flowing hair. <laughs> but what does he bring to the table? After that initial early success, injuries, bounces around a little bit, goes the Angels, not the answer. Like you said, Dodgers won your deal. Like, dude, you get to pitch for the Dodgers. Like, what a win that is. You stay in Los Angeles, premier organization, and so far he's been awful. So you do have to try anything you can. And uh, I don't know, man. There's, there's, You know, Al Leiter has told me that there, there is a real impact to pitching and the mental side of things. And, of course, Yogi Berra once said 90% of the game is half mental. So we know it's important. But I don't know, man. It's, uh, it feels like Syndergaard's grasping for straws. I hope it works out because clearly the Dodgers are expecting more on that one-year deal. Uh, speaking of things that have uh, caught a lot of people off guard to start this season, how about the, the Cardinals, Verk, at 13-25, and 25, one of their worst starts ever. And this whole story with Wilson Contreras is a really interesting one. And I'm curious, do you see him playing the role of scapegoat with this, or did the team sort of – over-evaluate the fit that he would be with this group because now they announce that they're moving him away from the catching position for an indefinite period. Um, not like the pitching have been great either, but he was taking over you know, for Hall of Fame defensive caliber Yadier Molina there and seems to be the main focus of, of ire in St. Louis. But 
What a what a terrible start to the year it's been in for the Cardinals. Yeah, it's been awful. By the way, excellent use of ire because that's exactly what's going on right now for Wilson Contreras. And, and I feel for him because you're right. He gets signed to this contract, uh, you know, five years, $85 million, whatever it is. He's expected to be the catcher, $87.5 million. And, like, very quickly they're pulling the shoot. And I just think it's a disaster by St. Louis because essentially what you're saying now is he can't catch. Like, you just signed him. If for any reason you want to trade him at some point, other teams will say, well, clearly he's not a good catcher. He's going to have to be a DH, and that's, that's the end of that. Like, they, they could have handled this in a better way just so we want to DH a little bit, move him around a little bit. Once you kind of come out and say, oh, he's not the catcher, what a horrible sum. Like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you do your due diligence when you signed him to be a catcher for you? So it's really a painful way to do things. I think it's a bad look for the team. And for Contreras in this case, I can understand if he's frustrated. I saw his quote saying, you know, no one's spoken to me yet. I still think I'm the catcher. But what's undeniable is the Cardinals are a disaster. Like, it's just been a horrible team so far this year. Arnado is having a horrible season. The only guy hitting is Goldschmidt. They sent down Jordan Walker, who's hitting 274. It doesn't make any sense why he gets sent down. And all their pitchers have been bad. Wainwright finally came back. It's good news for them. But he's old. He's in his 40s. So you got Miles Michaelis, 5.79 ERA. Jack Flaherty, 6.29 ERA. Both of those guys expected to be good, and so far the only guy who's been good has been Jordan Montgomery. So you got one starting pitcher, you got one hitter in Goldschmidt that adds up to a, a last place team. And it's rare the Cardinals are that bad. I mean, they're the worst team in the National League, the 13 and 25. Now, they're only eight games out. Again, the worst record of an American League East team is the Yankees, 21 17. That's the same record of the best team in the NL Central, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So this is, goes back to your point about being in a bad division how it can help you or hurt you. In this case, it helps St. Louis. You go on a run a little bit, you could still be a first-place team, but they've got a lot to work through, and I thought they handled the situation with Contreras terribly. The only thing I can think of, to your point, is Molina was so good at handling the pitching staff, the pitchers must have gone to Ole Marmol, the manager, or John Mazzucca, Jim, and said, listen, this guy can't catch. Like this, this is a problem. His game calling isn't very good. He's not helping us out. We need a different voice back there. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense to give a guy $87.5 million and then one month in and say you're not good enough to be our catcher. Uh, a couple movie topics before we end things off on this Thursday. And I'll admit, I, I didn't really have any reason to bring up Beetlejuice 2 with you because I, I, I think we have you know some pretty good theatrical taste here, Virk, and I didn't think that uh, Beetlejuice 2 was something that we needed to dive into until I found out that uh, the casting would include uh, would include Monica Bellucci, uh, someone very uh, dear to your heart, and uh, would be coming in as Keaton's wife in the movie to play Beetlejuice's uh, estranged wife in the sequel. Uh, does Beetlejuice two interest you outside of Monica Bellucci being in the movie? No, it's just you, you had me at Bellucci though, so I'm I'm paying the fourteen fifty for the ticket on Monica Bellucci alone. I mean, I'm going to go on a Monica Bellucci. You know, summer extravaganza. Once, <laughs> once we get through the playoffs, you're going to be asking me in June, July, Virk, what you watch? And we got another Monica Bellucci. Oh, what a surprise. Just finally catching up on the passion once the playoffs are over. So <laughs> I will be first in line for Beetlejuice 2 just for the gorgeous and divine Monica Bellucci. Although my fear is if she's playing Keaton's wife, does that mean they're going to put all that makeup on her and make her look hideous like Beetlejuice is? Oh. I hope that's not the case. But, but it makes a little sense because she is dating Tim Burton, which, again, I like Tim Burton a lot. I'm sure he's a great guy, but that is truly Beauty and the Beast. I mean, if you just Google an image right now, Monica Bellucci, Tim Burton, you'll, get a la- you'll be on the floor laughing so hard. She she looks statuesque and gorgeous, and he looks like Tim Burton, like goofy glasses, goofy face, funny hair. Like what? What? Like how is this happening? So 
Hey, I love the fact apparently they're in love. Tim's like, I got a role for you. Monica's like, let's do it. <laughs> I just hope she looks as good in real life as she does in the movie. I'm scared they're going to make her look like Beetlejuice if it's Beetlejuice's wife. Hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, a story that I know caught your eye earlier. My producers were talking about this earlier in the week. What would it take for Adnan Verk to go down the Robert De Niro route and welcome in child number seven at the age of 79? <laughs> would it take Monica Bellucci well, to do that? <laughs> it would take. <laughs> Monica Bellucci to get that done. If anybody's curious, if at the age of 79, I'd like to procreate again, just talk to Monica Bellucci. She is 14 years older, by the way. I'm 44. She's 58. So let's do the math. If I'm 79, she'll be 93 years old. <laughs> Me and Monica Bellucci is. I try to welcome another work of the household. Like, I just love how the story came out. He was being interviewed by, I believe, Entertainment Site Canada. And she said, yeah. you know, what's it like having six kids? And he's like, oh, seven, actually. Wait, what? <laughs> And the whole world is like, wait, wait, what did he just say? He's having another kid? And um, it makes you think of Tony Randall, the great actor. Tony Randall had his first kid at the age of 77. Holy passed away at 84. Geez. So with, with De Niro, we can all make jokes and go, oh, my God, what's he doing having a kid? But he does have six kids. His eldest child is 51 years old. And his youngest <laughs> child right now is 11. So like, it's an incredible age group. And now... I love Bob, of course. I adore him, but I don't know if he's actually changing diapers because that that'll be hysterical. Like, there's Robert here changing diapers and then getting back to making, you know, whatever little flockers he's making. But the, the best part will be with Listen, I hope he's with us a long, long time. People keep saying, "Oh, this kid, you know, he's not going to have a father." No, hopefully Bob's with us till he's 100, and that way, you know, the kid will be 21, pretty good run. But I can't wait till he goes to like kindergarten because right away they're going, "Oh, is this your grandpa?" No, no, this is my father, Robert De Niro. <laughs> I couldn't believe, couldn't believe when I saw that, and I, I had so many people, a bunch of tweets coming out of me. He says, "Now, the bad grandpa makes a little bit more sense when you watch that with uh, with Robert De Niro, and it kind of why he would take that role beside Zac Efron. You go, huh? Maybe it's not so far off of a stretch as we thought it would be uh, for the <laughs> for Robert De Niro at seventy nine years old. Good for him, uh, going strong. Uh, what's going on in Cinefile? The latest edition came out a couple of days earlier this week, pal." Yeah, disappointed in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It's just too much. I'm tired of all these superhero movies, particularly <laughs> that one. I thought the first one was terrific. Second one was okay. This one was a real bore. Two and a half hours. Wasn't very funny. Didn't have the great soundtrack. Just felt repetitive and monotonous to me, unfortunately. Did review Kingpin, which is one of my favorite comedies of the 90s, which I don't think has a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it's hysterical. I watched it again. I love Woody Harrelson in that movie. Um, you know, cast, Randy Quaid before he went nuts. You got uh, Bill Murray, who's so funny. Bill Murray, anytime he's playing like an arrogant guy, is so funny. Um, I mean, one of the funniest lines is he says, "Pressure." Yeah, there was some pressure. I mean, I didn't want to lose to a guy with a hook. Like <laughs> the whole idea of Woody Harrelson being a bowler with a prosthetic hand—it's a hysterical movie. So we we went down and talked about Kingpin, and also Sonny Vaccaro. Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro in the movie Air, which is on Amazon Prime this Friday here in America. I'm not sure about back home, but. Uh, Sonny Vaccaro is great, man. He told me the story when Matt Damon called him and said, listen, I love the Georgetown Hoyas. You know, I'm a huge Celtics fan. So I know who you are. I'm going to tell your story properly. Gandolfini was supposed to play Sonny Vaccaro one time. Somebody tells me that story. Huge Clemente guy. Loves the Pirates. So good stuff with Sonny Vaccaro. And, of course, if you haven't seen Air, again, uh, I thought Matt Damon did a great job playing Sonny, who's a real, really instrumental figure in basketball. I uh, love it, pal. Uh, appreciate the time, as always. Have yourself a great weekend, Virk. We'll talk to you next week, hey? Eh? Logo, you're the man. Monica Bellucci, let's go. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Appreciate you. Uh, Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast joins us every Thursday down the Atlas Peace and Sports Bar guest hotline.
a little bit of everything with Adnan on a Thursday chat. We got to get out of here. Thank you to Adnan Ferk for joining us. Thank you, uh, of course, to Sandra Persina for joining us as well. To give us a little bit of a Wranglers preview. Uh, and thank you to Outstanding Producers Cam and Taylor for their hard work on this Thursday afternoon. We are out of here. Keep it locked here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.